Well, thanks, everybody. Hosea, a, a wonderful book. This has been the theme of the book, as you recall. It's a great story of God's unfailing love to unfaithful people. And I mentioned that the concept is so foreign to us that uh, anyone, let alone Almighty God, would not respond to uh, our unfaithfulness by rejecting us. No, we meet up with his uh, faithfulness in spite of our unfaithfulness. It's such a hard concept to get. A God who is so wonderful to us gave us this whole book consisting of a story of an unusual marriage between two parties, a faithful one and an unfaithful one. Gomer was the lady. She was unfaithful to her husband, uh, Hosea, who uh, responded to her unfaithfulness by loving her, forgiving her, and uh, allowing her to come back home nonetheless. And sometimes, folks, uh, we who are wedded to Almighty God through the new covenant, sometimes we're like Gomer uh, to God, and he is always like Hosea to us. That's the nature or the, the message of the book. Then we move past that marriage to a wider application in which God tells us about how uh, the people group to whom he was betrothed, Israel, were just as unfaithful to him as was Gomer to her husband. He's talking about Israel uh, turning their backs on their own God and uh, committing spiritual harlotry. Uh, Gomer committed physical harlotry. The parallel is drawn in the book to Israel who committed spiritual harlotry. And so I want to approach the final chapters in this book in an unusual way by, by looking to three uh, questions. The first, uh, do we who know God still sin? Uh, second, what are the consequences of our sin? And third, how does God respond to us when we sin? So let's briefly consider the first uh, question. Do God's people still sin? Uh, uh, the answer is sadly, yes, we do. Why? That's because we are still sinners. That's the way it is. Uh, now we're saved sinners, but sinners nonetheless. So what then have we been saved from? If we still have an inclination to sin, what have we been saved from? Well, folks, we've been saved from the wrath of God. Think about it. It's all been poured out on Jesus for us, and therefore, we will not ever experience the wrath of God. So the penalty of our sin has been removed, but the presence of our sin, sadly, uh, still remains, not forever, but for now it very much is there. But is there no difference with regard to our sin uh, before and after we came to know Christ? Well, yeah, there is a difference. Before Christ, we had no option but to sin. We were sinners and there was nothing to check our sinful inclination because we were not inhabited by the Spirit of God. See, the Spirit poses opposition to the flesh. But if you don't have God's Spirit in you, you're all flesh. There's no opposition. You lose the war. Now that we're in Christ, we have the option of saying no to sin. We were actually obligated to sin while apart from Christ. We no longer are. We can resist. 
In fact, we're told in the Bible to resist temptation. So at this point, we can put up a fight against sin that one time had mastery over us, but no longer does. Now, sometimes, admittedly, we lose the battle. And we have seen this all through Hosea with God's people then, Israel. Oftentimes, though in covenant with him, losing the battle against sin and deception. So Hosea chapter 9 verse 1 says, For you have played the harlot, forsaking your God. You see, God is building on the relationship we saw the sad relationship between Gomer and Hosea. We saw her literal harlotry, and now God is accusing Israel of the same. You, Israel, have played the harlot, forsaking your God. So the prophet Hosea envisioned Israel as one, as a harlot, committing adultery, just as his wife did. And so let's go to the second question. We answered the first, can a believer continue to sin? The answer is yes. Here's the second question. What then are the consequences of our sin? So let me just share a few that emerge from this book. One is diminished joy. And so you can see this, for instance, in Hosea 9.1. Do not rejoice, O Israel. So folks, the sins of God's people, folks like you and I, do not result in the loss of our salvation. I know some are troubled over that, but it just flies in the face of Scripture. Uh, You cannot lose what God has given to us unconditionally, graciously, and irreversibly. But what you can lose, if not your salvation, is the joy of your salvation. Uh, Therefore, the most miserable person on earth, in my opinion, is not an unsaved person. It's a saved person behaving like an unsaved person. You can't do it anymore. When you were unsaved, you could sin, and the sin didn't bother you at all. You didn't have God's Spirit in you to put a check on that. Now that you have God's Spirit in you, God lovingly will diminish our joy, the joy of our salvation, when we are in a pattern of sin, Because he loves us too much to let us get away with it. So that's one of the things that happens when we Christians continue to sin. Diminished joy. Here's something else. A diminished satisfaction. So I saw this implied in this passage. Uh, Hosea 9, 2 and 3. Threshing floor and wine press will not feed them. And the new wine will fail them. So they couldn't find satisfaction in the fruit of their labor, in their agricultural endowment. It didn't satisfy. It's like sin for us. It does satisfy for a season. And then what ensues is this, uh, this uh, terrible feeling of uh, unsatisfaction and emptiness. This too is Uh, from the hand of a loving God who tries to curb our appetite for sin. So diminished satisfaction happens when we sin. I'm going to skip this one just for a second and go to this one. Diminished respect for God's word. I see this brought out here 
In Hosea 9, verse 7, the prophet is a fool. <gasps> That's what the people thought about God's messengers. The prophet is a fool. Uh, the inspired man is demented. Crazy. Hosea, you're crazy. Uh, because of the grossness of your iniquity and because your hostility is so great. So I notice when a Christian is in a pattern of sin, that Christian incrementally begins to lose respect for the word of God. That's trouble, folks. You don't want to get there. If there's a, a sin area in your life, even tonight, please deal with it because it gets worse and you lose joy, you lose satisfaction, and you lose an interest in the word of God. And when that happens, you're really in trouble because it's the word of God that can call us back into right relationship, right fellowship with him. There's something else that happens as a consequence of repeated sin. It's this, diminished restraint. Hosea 9.9, they have gone deep in depravity. So uh, I noticed when you attempt to meet your own needs apart from God, you lose the capacity to regulate your own desires. That's what happens. So when you, when you strike out independent of the Father, uh, he allows us to exercise our free will that way. Uh, but in our quest for freedom from him, we become enslaved to our unregulated desires. And you can get deeper and deeper into darkness. Uh, this could be true of any of us. Although recently I had a conversation with someone uh, uh, in whose life this is really true. This is a Christian as much as I am and, and you are, who's gotten involved in things you, you would not imagine. He's even shocked. And uh, I, asked, I asked the obvious question, how did, how did this happen? You, 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 you were in love with the Lord. You, you were following him. You, you loved his word. You shared your faith. How did this happen? And he said to me, one small step at a time. That's how it happens. And you get increasingly into greater and greater darkness. You don't lose your salvation if you've been authentically redeemed. But he lost his ability now to restrain and regulate his own desires. You don't want that to happen. Another consequence is this. Diminished fruit. It simply says in Hosea 9.16 of Israel, they will bear no fruit. Isn't it a terrible thing when Almighty God uh, would bestow upon us the great joy and privilege of bearing fruit uh, in someone else's life, and then you find yourself being fruitless? It's like a major identity crisis because our identity is to glorify the God who saved us. And when you find yourself unable or ineffective in so doing, it's a crushing blow. You see, this is why God hates sin. He does not hate us when we sin. He hates the consequences that befall us when we sin. So then God's people still sadly do sin. And sin brings its consequences. And now let's attempt to answer the third question, which is this. 
uh, how does God respond to us? I'm talking about us as believers. How does God respond to us when we sin? Well, I think he does so in three ways. Here's the first. He grieves. A second, he disciplines. And third, this is really great news, he restores. So let me show you Hosea 9.10 under the first one, he grieves. Uh, God said, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. Here's what's happening. God is pausing to reflect, look back on his relationship with Israel. It's as if he's saying in the early days of Israel's history, in the wilderness wanderings, I took great delight in her. Uh, To the extent one delights in finding a clump of grapes in the wilderness. See, you don't typically find that. That's the metaphor. So God is saying here, I found Israel to be as pleasurable, as delightful, as, as enjoyable as you would if you were hiking through a desert or wilderness. And much to your surprise, you find grapes. It's as if God is saying that's what used to be. But it isn't the nature of our relationship now. And you can hear God's grieving heart. Furthermore, in uh, Hosea 11.1, uh, it says, When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Here is God like a father with a broken heart, reflecting back on earlier days with his beloved children. He's considering the past, and he's essentially saying there were better days. There were sweet days when Israel was young. And here God is grieving the loss of that sweet relationship. Here's what Hosea 11.3 says. Yet it is I. Can you hear the, the agony? Uh, coming from Almighty God, the grief. It's I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. Can you imagine parents, grandparents, when you have a child, a grandchild, and they're just a young child, and you're helping them to walk, and you know you stand ready. If they take a fall, you stand ready to catch them before they fall too hard, or if they fall, you grab them up and you soothe them. God is using that image to say, that's how I cared for Israel, and yet they turned from me. I, who was most familiar to them and with them, and they turned from me to worship strange gods. Can you, hear, can, can you hear the broken heart, think about it, of the very creator of the universe? He's made himself vulnerable to our uh, free will. We, we can hurt our father. He hurts when we drift away from him. Look at he, Hosea 11 verse 7. So my people are bent on turning from me. I... Uh, I, uh, I, I spoke to somebody who uh, just lost a relative and I, we were discussing funeral arrangements and I asked if there was other family and this person said, yes, uh, there is a sibling, but we are estranged from him. He has turned away from us and we've, we have had no communication in years and years. It's agonizing and God experience, experiences that agony. My people are bent on turning from me. Transcendent deity made himself vulnerable to us. 
This perhaps is the number one reason why we want to avoid sin. It hurts almighty God. It hurts our father. Look, look at what he, see if you can sense the grief in his words. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. If you're a Christian and you're kind of on the run from God now because you think he's given up on you and is angry at you, could I commend to your heart Hosea 11.8? This is God's response to one of his wayward sons or daughters. How can I give you up? How can I surrender you? My heart is turned over within me. All my wrath is kindled. No, no, it's not. Uh, God's, the Father's wrath was poured out on Jesus, the Son, on the cross. Therefore, it says, not that God's wrath is kindled, all his compassions are, are kindled. So here's the Father heart of God. It's broken. When his people, his redeemed ones, rebel against him, and this is the cost of love that God is willing to pay to be in relationship with us. So then, when we sin, God grieves. Secondly, he disciplines. Look at Hosea 10.10. 10. It's simple. When it is my desire, I will chastise them. But I know I just said God loves us. How could this uh, how is this consistent with his love? Oh, no. This is very much consistent with a father's love. He loves his wayward kids so much, he's not indifferent to their waywardness. Therefore, he will discipline them, not to destroy, but to deliver from sin. And so uh, you, you, can, you can see this not only in God's response to Israel, but perhaps in response to you or, or me as well. Our Father will never give up on us, but our Father is willing to manifest a kind of a tough love so as to motivate us to confess our sin and return to him. So when we sin, God grieves, uh, God disciplines, and this one, this is my favorite. He restores, and um, we'll bring this to a close in just a few minutes. Let's camp out on this one just for a few minutes. Look at Hosea. 14 verse 1. This is kind of how the book ends. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. So though his people have turned away from him, he will not turn away from them. As God responds to Israel, so too he responds to us, Christians, saved by the blood of Jesus. And you see that opening word, return, that's kind of a strong feature in the entire book of Hosea. Uh, Gomer had the opportunity to return, uh, though she be unfaithful, to her faithful husband. Israel has the opportunity to return uh, to the a heavenly husband who uh, she sinned against, we have the opportunity as believers to return to our father because he will not 
turn against us. So I think sometimes the most important work we Christians can do is not evangelism. It is not Bible study. It is simply returning to God. Could I, uh, is beg too strong a word? Could I beg you who have trusted God for salvation, uh, trust him to restore the joy of your salvation? Uh, we call that confession and repentance, those two. A confession simply means, oh God, I agree that what I have done is sinful in your eyes. That's confession. And repentance means to change direction. Now, uh, don't think so highly of yourself that you can stop sinning on your own. You can't. Uh, when we talk about repentance, it isn't so much turning away from your habitual pattern of sin. It's turning to Jesus who could strengthen you so that you could resist your sin. That's the repentance. So uh, let me beg you, please don't conform almighty God to your image or mine. Maybe we're not so forgiving when we've offended one another. Maybe we're given to anger more than we are to compassion. Don't, don't conform God to that image. He's different. Return, O Israel. You could put your name in there. Return, if you have to insert your name, to the Lord, your God. You've stumbled because of your iniquity, but you could return. Look at, look at Hosea 14, verse 2. Take words with you, and there's that marvelous word again, and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. What does it mean here when God says, take words with you? He doesn't want their uh, sacrifices. He doesn't want them to mutilate themselves. He doesn't want them to fast he wants them to come with words of sincere confession and repentance. Just say, oh God, I've sinned against you. Then say, thank you for forgiving me. Then say, I have a proneness to do it again. Would you strengthen me so that I would be less prone to sin against you? Take words of sincerity, words of repentance and confession of sin. That's what God is saying. Don't try to impress me, he's saying to Israel and by extension us. Don't try to impress me with all kinds of sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. Just come with words of sincerity. Say, Father, I'm sorry. You've given me no reason to drift. It's just in me to do so. Prone to wander, we sing that hymn from time to time. It's in me for now, oh God. Thank you for keeping the door open. Thank you for this marvelous word, return. Thank you for inviting me to do so. Thank you for meeting me with compassion, not a clenched fist, no open arms. Oh God, thank you for softening my heart, which has been hardened. My heart is softened when I see your grieving broken heart as a result of my waywardness. That's what God has invited ancient Israel to do. That's what he invites us to do. And let's close with this marvelous verse. Hosea chapter 14, verse 4. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. 
Can you see the marvelous I wills in that verse? I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. Folks, I think that's the gospel message in the book of Hosea. Uh, what a marvelous declaration of God's unfailing love for unfaithful people like Israel and like us from time to time. Uh, the sin committed is not the big problem. It's our response to it. Some of us as Christians, when we sin, go on sinning, thinking we've lost any opportunity to be in right relationship with God again. The whole book of Hosea is meant to dispel that false thinking. There never is a time when God will say to one of his own, I have had enough. Go from me. No, he says, return, return, return. Please see him as a heavenly father, not with a clenched fist, but with open arms. Come home, come home, come home. It's a big concern when someone has not accepted Jesus as Savior. You're apart until you do from the very creator of the world. But I think it maybe even is just as big a concern when a saved one hasn't done so well and thinks uh, your sin is greater than God's grace. <laughs> it's not true. Uh, we sing this marvelous song about God's grace being greater than our sin. Hosea is meant to prove that. Please trust God, not just for your salvation, but for your return and restoration, if that is the case. Uh, sadly, we have spiritual ups and downs. Even ministers do. I wish it was just a straight line of growth from the point of salvation on into the arms of Jesus in a flawless walk. But it, it, that's not the way it is. We succumb to sin and temptation, all the rest. All of us do. So God has given us these marvelous 14 chapters to show us, I'm wedded to you. You have been like Gomer to me. I like Hosea to you. Though she was unfaithful, I will be faithful to you because I redeemed you with a very expensive price. Return, return, return. Lord Jesus, thank you for expressing these marvelous, life-changing truths in a way we could relate to. You used an unhappy marriage to show us what's true. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gospel. It's not new as in the New Testament. You've always been gracious. It's your nature. You've always been a redeemer. You've always persisted in your faithfulness, even when your children have been unfaithful. We're so safe and secure, Lord Jesus, having been in your embrace by faith. I pray, oh God, we would, each of us here, live with heads up and shoulders back, having confessed any known sin, uh, changed our direction and come back to you just as Gomer was invited to come back to Hosea. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have an investment in our lives. We underestimate. And thank you for the marvelous promise that one day we will be delivered before you as holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for adopting us into your family and for never letting us go. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.